Welcome, Lieutenant Sandhya, to HR Elevate podcast. You are the first guest for this series. And for our audience, I'd like to introduce Lieutenant Sandhya. She is a Navy veteran, a three-time TEDx speaker, and has over twenty years of corporate experience with mentorship, leadership, business transformation, and HR. Uh, I hope I didn't miss out anything. If there um, is, please. Twenty-eight years experience and a whole lot of other things actually I've done. Uh, maybe we'll take that up in the course of the conversation. Uh, but yeah, I'm a change enabler now, and I do a lot of things which is uh, focused towards adding value to whatever's around me. Let's put it that way. <laughs> That's wonderful. Adding value to the world is something we really need more of. I'd like to start with the very first question being, what was your cue to get into HR world? Uh, people. So you know, when when we when we think of HR, we're looking at we call it uh, we started with say personnel, and uh, you know it was very administrative when probably HR started, and then there was managing people for basics like their pay and leave and things like that. So that's very administrative in terms of HR. then we started calling it a human resources so yeah we are a resource uh, but we are also capital so then it moved to human capital and you know a lot of that but eventually at the bottom line it's still people right so uh, i didn't jump into hr right away i kind of was doing uh, sales and uh, business development and a lot of other things and then i had moved on to administrative position so sat for an interview Uh, for an admin position and they suddenly popped up the question can you do hr i'm like okay why not uh, i thought admin things dead things right i mean they don't have a life of the way that you can interact so yeah with people it's easier and tougher but yeah it's much more fulfilling at the end of the day wow that's wonderful being having that drive to interact with people and make their lives better is really something valuable and should it's be quite draining also when you look at it you know you have to have a balance between the two uh, you're talking about expending your own energy and you know meeting people uh, interacting with them paying attention so all of that requires a certain amount of you know your own stillness your own balance on it so because you're expending energy it makes it uh, very difficult to hold on to it so it depends on the people you meet some people are energetic and they they vibe and you get the energy some you have to pull up from the low energy that they have so it can be very different for a lot of things you know in terms of uh, variances about people because everyone is different uh, but mm-hmm. yeah people interaction gives me um, a sense of satisfaction as well but up to a point now i'm not Oops. as uh, you know social or interactive in terms of people as i used to be so now it's more focused groups uh i'm curious about people what makes people think what makes people tick what's on their mind how is it going and you can't understand all of them you can't read their minds but it's interesting because i you know i like to write so for me almost every person is literally a story in that aspect i also okay. like to take pictures so every person for me is also a frame in some way so i kind of balance out the two you know things uh, which are very different and then try to work my way around it hopefully i'm getting better but i'm also getting selective yeah being selective is i think a inherent part of getting better journey Yeah, it is. That's so true. So, uh, since we will focus on HR, yeah. what was your first assignment as an HR? Ah, uh, like I was telling you about the the admin to HR offer. So this is mm-hmm. way back in two thousand and sorry, two thousand five, I think, not four, two thousand five. Two thousand four was my last uh, sales uh, positions. so then i was working in an admin uh, position in a construction firm that does hard finishes and yeah. i was applying to go back to nigeria because nigeria was where a majority of my corporate experience was and okay. uh, 
the funny part is that I sat for the interview and um, it was an admin position and I had done it before and administratively it's all about management. So I'm like, okay, fine, let's do this. And then I had also applied for another place in a uh, position in Kenya. So I had these two places. Both of them were interviewing me at the same time. And the Kenya Kenya uh, company sent me an offer for GMH, uh, GM admin. So I called up the Nigerian end of my, you know, interviewers and I said, hey, you know, I have a contract that has come to me. If I sign it, I'm not going back. If you have something, you need to tell me in the next 24 hours. So um, I got a call within about three hours and they said, hey, can you uh, can you do HR? And I'm like, in my head, I'm going things, people, things, people. I'm like, okay, let's do HR. So I joined this conglomerate called Dana Group of Companies in Lagos, in Nigeria, as a junior HR manager. In three months, I took over as group head HR and uh, I started the entire department on my own. There was nobody in that department. I started from scratch with one intern who worked with me for almost four months. Uh, recruitment was a major thing at that particular point of time and thereafter everything else started falling into place. But just this intern and I, I remember I used to be screening 230 CVs in a day just to finish off the recruitments. And that is at the time, you know, people would not email you your resumes. These were hard mm -hmm. copies. So you had paper, you know, piles and piles of paper. So it's been great. I took over very quickly also because I think um, I enjoyed what I was doing. And it didn't have to deal with selling something to someone. This was more about people and listening to them and a lot of things. So, and I had a huge mandate from my boss. I could not have done this without him. He told me, he said, this is my pain point. Go and do what you need to do. I mean, that's it. I did not have a KPI or KRA or anything. I just needed to address the pain point. And he said, do what you need to do to build this up and get this sorted out. And I said, okay. So when you have a mandate like that from your boss, then everything is absolutely beautiful because you you're taking decisions you're not checking back asking wasting time because that decision making which is happening on the go helps things improve really quickly and uh, yeah. people look to you thereafter for solutions so it, it really it really made sense to me at that particular time and i totally enjoyed it there were 2500 employees uh, 250 of them were expats and i knew every file Every person's file, I knew them. I knew them by name. And even if I forgot, I knew that I, I would know everything about him before I meet the person. So there's a personal, you know, relationship or a personal touch yeah. to it. So it, it was an incredible part of my HR journey entirely. And it was a good kickoff. Let's just say that, yeah. Wow. So uh, since it was full of the firsts, you started the entire HR department by yourself. What were some of the major initiatives you spearheaded that helped employees' well-being, that targeted okay. employees' well-being? All right. So, uh, initial thing was also just to get the ground realities, you know, in position in terms of uh, on-time salary, leave is organized, your, you know, discontent whoever is discontented in whatever area that needs to get sorted. So what happened in this particular position was that there were 14 companies, 14 mm -hmm. different types of companies that they had. They had manufacturing sector, they had pharma, they had automobiles, they had plastics, they had food. Uh, it was the whole gamut. So now you have, you're exposed to different kinds of needs from different kinds of people. So a lot of the, uh, employee welfare and benefits and those kind of things came into play. We structured the salary. Nobody could at random say, okay, I'm hiring you for this much. Uh, there was a proper structure to it. There was a proper elevation, a career path that was created for everyone that, hey, this is your next, this is your next level, this is your next level. So everybody knew, uh, not knew, but they were beginning to see where they were going. 
and that really helps uh, people uh, you know perform much better in their day-to-day -day thing so then i started off with the policy documentation then we started off with the sops the checklist and every industry has a different checklist Very so you have that yeah. then there were two major union um, strikes that happened during that time so one was to deal with the community one was to deal with the workers uh, you know uh, status so the first one the community one was with the automobile sector and we were distributing Kia brand, you know, uh, in Nigeria. So one okay. of our uh, hotspots was this whole community issue where we have, like you have in India, you have reservations and things like that. So you had this, you had to literally go and solve out that problem. Uh, people will accept you and, uh, you know, will warm up to you even when they're annoyed, when you have, when you give them that space to talk, to speak. So, and uh, a lot of that had to do with actually listening and hearing them out and then coming to certain decisions. So, like I said, because of the mandates I had, I made sure every time I go for a conflict resolution, I tell uh, the, you know, the chairman or the MD, you are not going to even pick a phone call. And even if you pick a phone call from anybody who's within that area of conflict, you will push them back to me. So, I took the mandate that he would have given. Right, so I needed to know how much salary increase I can give them, what are the benefits I can give them. I sat with him and finished it off, and I said, "You will not accept any single call. I am your spokesperson. Nothing will go to you, and you will not say anything. You will not commit to anything beyond this, right?" And it works, because then what you're doing is you're taking decisions right there, and you're actually taking signatures, and they feel like, okay, this is happening now. It's not going to be a tomorrow or one week from now. Those decisions have been taken. Now only an email will come and it's all sorted, but the signatures are there. So people need assurance that they're being looked after. So that is there. Then we started a training department because now you have to transform the entire, you know, way work is being done, the culture and stuff. So they had never had training before. And Nigeria by itself was a place which was, uh, you know, there's a lot of disparity in the income groups. So people who are working uh, on a day job are people struggling because they have huge families. So I realized the team that I was working with. So my own team had people who would probably be eating, uh, you know, three meals a day only or two meals a day only for the first week. After that, they are literally on uh, peanut and Coke, Coca-Cola. So I mean, it, this is, this is how it was in Nigeria. So when you look at basics and welfare and things like that, so we started doing, you know, uh, I would just randomly do lunches for them, just order something to eat because I knew they had not eaten. I didn't realize it. I actually had to ask my EA, and this is what's going on, you know, this girl works great up to a week and thereafter the energy is down. She said, ma'am, she's eating only once a day and this is what she's eating. And uh, that's when you start digging in and utilize. There's a lot going on in everybody's lives. So it really helped me uh, become who I became in terms of HR. So yeah, huge, huge things, all culture changes. Um, so yeah, it, it was an interesting journey right at the start. Wow, that's an unimaginable story. Really, knowing that one of your employees is not able to work just because you're not paying them enough either or they do not have access to that food. too because see salary revisions are not really what hr can we can only recommend the approvals okay. come from elsewhere there uh, that is the thing but everybody starts blaming hr you've not done enough for me but the fights behind the walls are not what the uh, the staff is you know exposed yeah, to they don't yeah yeah there's a whole load of bargaining that happens and you know uh, you have to make do with certain things and you just have to let go of certain things and push it for the next time so a lot of those things happen that is very true actually uh the more you get to a responsibility point mm -hmm. you have to understand that there will be times you have to let go of something important in view of something more important yeah a little tip actually is you know you you don't have to 
do really big initiatives if you just keep a tab on what's going on in the office uh, what's going on with people why they are low on energy or whatever and you become that sounding board so what happens is then you can leave little inspirational chits for them even on their table something just impromptu you know because people like surprises people like nice surprises so those things when they work it it just uh, to bring up the morale of the organization is not very tough especially when you are not really into the segment of doing a dei or a culture change not ready for it yet you have to establish your baseline so once you establish the baseline and you transit to the dei that's a space i've been working in i've also been working in a space where the transition is from not having hr to having hr it's one of the toughest and the messiest areas and uh, to work in it's also very challenging but uh, little things can always always be done uh, you know to make people feel better so let me just give you an example for example you know aapse puchti ek sawal um when you when you see a plane flying in the sky uh-huh. right what do you think i don't really think a lot honestly i just yeah, you just say oh no. plane what must be it must be going somewhere okay that's a generic thought um, yeah. which airline or something like that i'm looking at a plane and i'm like oh that's 200 300 stories right inside that plane right wow. so, so when you're looking at it in that manner you are looking at things in a very different space from a different angle and uh, i'm not someone who has you know done a lot of uh, studying or uh courses in terms of any of these things these have all been extracts from my own life experiences so when you look at something from your own life experiences and you bring in a new perspective to it uh it just changes the way you look at things so that's where all the difference happens very true. you what you learned is through amalgamation of understanding and real life experiences yeah and the can only try to capture a small portion of that and but they are able to impart to students is even you know tinier portion it's not just your experiences when you look at it nishant it's a lot of your own thoughts it's a lot of what you learn as lessons which of course comes from experience but it's also a lot of little snippets of what you see around you what is happening with you you know uh, for example you can say you know there are two siblings in one house and the parents have brought them up parents are saying i love you equally but the sibling does not see it the child will say no you love the other one more right but the truth is that the parents were in a different space in their life when they had their first child so that parenting uh, the kind of love the exposure was different when you come to the next child your financial status who you where you are in your own relationship with your partner that matters but you're still loving equally it just gets shown differently but it's also a lot of about how you feel so there's a difference in the timeline there's a difference in the maturity level there's a difference in the way we look at things like if you tell me uh, you know key 20 years ago i how would i have handled something like that and in retrospect we may have improved it but when we were where we were those things were different so those experiences are different for us that's that's such a life lesson thing you know uh, in retrospect yes we could have done it better this is something i think about so many things and only recently i added this part at that time did i do to the best of my knowledge and experience yes But i you're did. judging from a different space right you're judging from who you are today yes. not who you were then yes. yeah and that that changed a lot of things for me a lot of perspectives a lot of regrets went away with that so yeah that's a very important thing now you mentioned that you need to as an hr you should know your employees you should know each and every one of them their stories what they are facing and that is how you can help them do you think it's also of any use to have them categorized in certain groups for example this is a, a specific type of group uh, which has certain persona this group has other persona this way you can organize selective lnd activities for them 
or employee engagement activities for them? Yeah, okay. Uh, you know, when you're looking at L&D activities and um, when I say that you need to know your employees better, I uh, you can't know their entire lives, all right? But what you can True. do as an exercise is uh, identify their strengths, identify their um, what really uh, is their natural talent, what they, where their skills lie, and understand their aspirations. So when you understand their aspirations, you know where they want to go. You see where their strengths are. If you want to categorize them, categorize them according to their strengths. So once you categorize them according to their strength, look at the strength that's missing, right? Because that's what's forming your team, right? So one part of the team which has a gap, fill that gap with somebody who has that strength. Don't go honing it on everyone because it doesn't work like that, right? Uh, we want to be perfect in everything. Uh, for school, for example, you did 10 subjects. You had 10 different teachers or maybe at least seven or five teachers who taught you all those subjects. But you are yeah. expected to score 100% and become an expert in each of them. What kind of logic is that? Right? We, we, we're just looking at things very wrong when we look at it. So similarly, in any organization, when you find the gap, you interview the person for it. Most of the initial issues are about hiring the right person. Most of the time, people end up hiring somebody they like. And which means I I like this person because he reflects a part of me that I like, right? But mm -hmm. once you hire someone who you like, then it's going to be tough. You're not measuring it by what they can do. You're not supposed to hire someone you like. You're supposed to hire someone who can do that job and passionately, right? So if you hire that person, that person's happy doing what they're doing. They're not also bothered about somebody, uh, uh, some other person coming and taking their chair, right? Kursi ka jo khel hai na, it's a little, <laughs> it's it's very tricky in organizations. And when, especially when they're growing, you know, everybody's bothered about their own, uh, their own position, their own job. So label them and categorize them according to their strengths. You will always have a reflective career path or a reflective uh, space of work which works for them. Identify that first. And then you decide, and then you can place them on, okay, this will hone out their skills here. This will hone out their skills there. If there's a huge gap or there's something that they absolutely hate doing, trust me, no amount of L&D is going to help. You need to get the right person for the right thing first. And okay. uh, allow them to be allow them to do their jobs. Uh, most of the time, there's so much of interference in uh, them doing their job. There's so much helicoptering by the bosses. You're not given time. And then the reports and a lot of things. So what can get automated in any organization needs to get automated first before you even think of L&D. Because most people don't have time. They're doing things manually or still using Excel for something that can get automated. There are so many programs there are so many platforms which helps do these things, right? So then you get them on an L&D program. And I think, you know, organizations need to look at L&D as an investment. Most people don't invest in L&D, especially in India, where they are, you know, so-called Lala-run businesses, where they feel you know, this person's going to leave and all that training will go to waste. But what you don't realize is there's someone else who might be getting trained somewhere who's also going to come and join you. It's a domino effect. It's a cycle. So don't get scared yeah. of investing. Because when you invest in people and honing what their strengths are, focusing on what their passion is, uh, what happens is that they look at work as something that they enjoy. And you like to do something that you enjoy. So when it gets to that, mm -hmm. so L&D is not just about courses, so you need to have a great framework at the back end, which is very, very robust, which is very, very steady. And uh, to do that, you uh, have to be looking at people uh, as people and not just as workers who are doing your job. You know, everybody's got aspirations. Everybody has ambition and you need to get to know that. 
but you will always have people who will oppose, who, there will be conflicts and those conflicts, uh, a call has to be taken on those conflicts. Most conflicts can be resolved, but conflicts of ethics, integrity, uh, conflicts of uh, egos, which are really, really strong and they are pulling people down, that that needs to go. So. Wow. So uh, what I understand is majority of conflicts are because of either ethics, egos or morality, not the actual topic. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, true. And for employee engagement, uh, one needs to know their strengths uh, and help them improve their strengths know their aspirations and create a plan that supports their aspirations. If someone wants to earn more, give them opportunity to do overtime. If someone wants to have a work-life balance, allow them the same thing. If someone values perks more than money in hand or vice versa, then have it customized to some extent. Yeah, that's, that's kind of true. I mean, you can't customize everything, you know. When we start customizing yeah. everything, um, we make it, we make lazy people when we customize everything. We stop people from thinking for themselves. Uh, you know, you can uh, keep a basket. Let's put it at that way. Mm -hmm. When you're working on perks, when you're working on privileges, when you're working on these things, it if it becomes a part of your CTC and you're working on a work-life balance kind of a thing, then your CTC of these perks, little things that are there also has a value attached to it, right? So when you put value this, let a person choose what their CTC is going to be like. For some money may be the thing, nothing else works for them because they have their own, you know, uh, obligations and other things. For some, a work-life balance works. For some, it's working out and keeping a, you know, uh, a fit and, you know, structured body, for example. For some, it may be cycling. For some, it may be arts. For some, it may be anything. So when you put those kind of things in a basket and say, hey, you can pick these and have a system, mm -hmm. for example, a point system attached to this basket, this many points, this basket, this many points, 100 is your CTC. You pick what you want. Every point has a rupee value. Let's put it that way. So when you do it that way, yeah. hey, I want this much salary to be going, which really helps because you're not going to be paying too much of TDS. And um, then you've got these baskets of things that you can pick up. I want uh, more leave or I want this many working hours. Work it on a flexi thing. You know, we, we are very hard cast uh, up to a point, but that was 2019. The world has changed. The new normal is not the normal that was before. And uh, it's not normal anymore. We know it is possible <laughs> to be in an organization, work from somewhere remotely and still deliver. What HR needs to do is to learn to manage and keep those people engaged who also work remotely or in hybrid or work from home. You know, there are tons of things that can be done in terms of uh, customizing. But does HR need to spend time customizing? No. You set some parameters and say, okay, let's work within this. Now you pick from your basket. Because almost 80% or 70% of your CTC is literally money. But beyond that are privileges when you're looking at it. So if, if you are able to spend that kind of quality time, sit with the management and work this out, your CTC also drops a little bit. There are some people who work on bonuses. I also want bonus. So you create a bonus which is challenging, just out of their comfort zone, but if they put their heart to it, they can achieve it. Interdepartmental conflicts, for example, can be sorted out with this, where you are banking on somebody's delivery and linking it with someone else, especially where there's conflict. Now they have to work together to get that chunk of money. Uh -huh. So the toughest ones, you big, put the bigger chunk, right? For sales, you will put it in targets and revenues and cash collected and everything. Yeah. For somebody else, it might be something else. But when you link the two bonuses together, it just helps. Your support staff is as much a part of the organization as the front-end sales staff. Discrimination shouldn't be happening there. There is discrimination. 
uh, a lot of incentives and commissions are given to the sales staff, but the support staff doesn't get it. But would they function without the support staff is the question to ask, right? So everything is interrelated. How much you reward what you want repeated is the crux of the game. What you reward will get repeated. You reward bad behavior, you will get bad behavior. You reward good behavior, you will get good behavior. You reward, uh, you know, resolving a conflict, you will not have conflicts. So, you know, there there are ways to do these things, but uh, the rules are there for you to see it as a guideline. But to create something mm -hmm. which is engaging for them is important. Uh, but then again, there's also a spanko in uh, sales, for example. So there's a process, there's a link, there's a chain. So you follow progress like that. You have to start with integrating your uh, general HR activities. Then you start integrating your budgeting and you start integrating a lot of things. And then you start climbing. Because most people don't see HR as a marketing tool, which is why there's the least investment in training. There's the least investment in HR, least investment in budgets. But it is a marketing tool. Every employee of yours, whether they serve you tea or clean the washrooms, uh -huh. right up to the uh -huh. MD or the chairman, they are representing the brand. They are the marketing, the most active marketing tools. They don't feel good about it. They're not going to market you well. No matter what amount of money you spend on advertisements and branding and this and that, someone's going to mess it up for you. And this is also because most organizations in India, let me specify India, uh, and some in Nigeria where I've experienced this, as I've seen, when people leave that organization, it is like that person's become an enemy. Why? It's like, oh, that's the enemy. Oh, yeah. We are not enemies. I'm sorry. I was doing a job for you. You paid me for it. End of story. I'm moving on because I have aspirations exactly. you cannot fulfill, which is why people leave. People leave bad bosses. People leave organizations because they have a conflict with the ethics, with the integrity of the, uh, the person they're working with or the team they're working with. But they are also about aspirations. They all have ambitions. Just because as an owner, you have a dream of making money. That's your dream. But someone else has another dream. And if they're moving on with it True. because you cannot help them do it, why is there so much of enmity? Why is that person suddenly the enemy? You know, it's like spending so much time on looking for someone to blame that you don't spend time improving things. It's like, oh, you are, this person is not very productive for my team, but I don't want him to leave because that will be, you know, a hit on my ego. Yeah. When they're looking at this podcast and they're watching me, uh, organization heads are going to be really worried. They don't want to hire me. They want me, but they don't want me because I'm going to be very straight to their face and tell them, ki, hey, you know, these are the things that you need to improve. Employees will be like, oh, I want an HR head like that. So <laughs> there can be any way of looking at it, you know. Uh, I'm very, very uh, uh, direct with what I say. So it kind of also puts me in a space where people are like afraid to ask or afraid to say something. That also happens sometimes, but at least I will be saying it just the way it is. You know, calling a spade a spade is important. That's that's very important and very undervalued skill. And somehow Absolutely. from childhood, we are actually ingrained with a couple of things. One being do not confront people if you can avoid it. And uh, if you can avoid it also means, you know, putting it in uh, sugar coated words. Okay. So uh, if you meet an HR who is not very people centric, what would you like to tell them? Ah, I would like to tell them to move to operations, administrative work, which deals with things, not people. If they want to stay in HR and get better, like advice to get better? Uh, advice to get better is they need to identify what their strengths are. There are a lot of, uh, you know, 
tests available in the market, one of the most interesting tests on my own self that uh, I'd done uh, in terms of identifying strengths was the lineal, uh, you know, test. It It's not very expensive, but it gives you a very comprehensive uh, detail. Or it's like a 46-page report that I received, I remember. And then you go through a counseling yeah. session and understanding what the report is telling you and focus on the career that it suggests for you. Uh, as far as my report was concerned, when I'm talking about, which I took about a month and a half ago, 100% accuracy with my current life, where I am today, 100% accuracy it was. And I was amazed because, uh, you know, most reports will tell you what you've done in your past and other things, but it doesn't tell you where you stand and why you stand there. And when I sat with the yeah. person uh, to understand the report, uh, it was more like a discussion about what who I am about rather than just a discussion on what career paths because a lot of times get spent on if you don't understand your own report with who you are. So self-awareness is very important. So for anybody who's not in touch with uh, the people inside them, the person they are, it's very difficult to be in touch with people outside. Yeah. So it, it's work in progress all the time. So focus on a lot of time. Give, your give yourself time. Sit with silence. Don't switch on the TV, don't flip channels, that don't go looking for a series, but actually just sit with yourself. Take a break uh, and take a mandatory break and keep increasing that timeline. So I, I kind of work about four hours a day now and I don't work more than that. I take my breaks when so I feel like. that's the actual... Uh-huh. Four hours a day. <laughs> but weekends mostly I'm that's working. That's the actual amount of work a person I find Thursday is very convenient for chutti. So I take chutti or give myself a complete break on Thursday and half a Friday maybe. And then Saturday, it starts getting busy again. But then I'm not in dread of Mondays anymore because Monday is not the first day for me, right? It has transited to a space <laughs> where it's very flexible. So when it's flexible, it, it just makes it more uh, enjoyable. So I may decide today, hey, I don't want to interact yeah. with people. So I'll pick up work which doesn't need me to talk to people so this is the of course these are the perks of working freelance the not so interesting perks of working freelance is someday you have money and someday you don't <laughs> so you can be flexy <laughs> about uh, it's a give and take there's a price to pay for everything right but just choose what you pay for choose something of value that you will pay yeah. for not something of regret not something of sadness don't pay for sadness don't pay for stress don't pay for hypertension but preventive, being self-aware and choosing, choosing your wins, choosing your projects to work with people you really enjoy working with, people who have the same set of values as you have, that's important. That is very true and a lot more people should take cognizance of this and act yeah. on it. The world will be a happier place just because you decided to choose what you really want to choose. Yeah, so that, that happens. And what would you say to a CEO who does not value HR other than someone who do, does the hiring, firing and salaries? That's a very, very tricky question. <laughs> I don't know what you can say to a CEO. You know, a person has to be receptive. Mm-hmm. Receptive means to be the ability to take in as much sweetness as the willingness to take in bitterness, negativity, or something that is said by way of wanting you to improve mm -hmm. as a person, right? So mm -hmm. CEOs are usually not people who listen too much to people down the line. I wish they did. <laughs> Because, uh, you know, HR eventually is a confidant. They're telling you where they can see things going haywire. So yeah. the CEO is essentially somebody who's constantly in meetings, constantly bombarded with a lot of things that are happening operationally in every department. So, but what's happening with the people? Where is it, where is it going? Where's the organization going in terms of people? Where's the organization going in terms of uh, budgets? people budgets, where is it going in terms of investment versus output, ROI, right? People are an uh -huh. investment eventually in an, any organization. Are Is their output the same? 
are you valuing valuing the people you bring in so these are the questions that keep getting constantly raised with ceos where it's a multinational company people are very organized when it's a huge organization because they've transited and grown to that stage but where people are just transiting or it's owner driven business but they want to be corporate mm-hmm. but aren't there you have a problem so it's it's the willingness of the ceo to be able to listen and give it a thought and look at it from another perspective right that's what makes you an effective ceo if i'm looking at something wow. from my perspective i'm also looking at it from uh, is it harming the organization or is it not harming the organization in the long run you need to be looking at that so most ceos don't accept that but i've also seen ceos and mds and chairmen who are very receptive to this so they are people who will go and do a course mingle with other ceos and understand how their businesses are being run which is why it's very important to have a networking community in which you interact with other people of your own levels and people who are in your core team right so supposing i'm the ceo and i'm going and meeting another ceo i would also love to meet their hr i would love to meet their cfo i would love to meet their sales head because it gives me a perspective of how that business is being run how that leadership is working so opening yourself to seminars opening yourself to conferences opening yourself to attending uh, you know specific uh, retreats conclaves these are important spaces so if if a person if a ceo does not understand hr they need to start attending hr conclaves they need to start attending okay. the trends that are happening in the industry in terms of hr and how it benefits them because what you don't know you don't know but if you don't open up yourself you don't have time for you know a month long course or 10 days course but you can always go and attend a conference and actually pay attention and not do other stuff while it's happening actually pay attention and interact with those people ask them prevalent questions tell them hey this if this is a pain point how do we resolve how do you resolve it in your organization understand the way things work with other hr people with other organizations what is their relationship how does the dynamic uh, you know how do the dynamics between the two work that's critical and that exposure comes with a networking community for example uh, right now i'm the chief engagement officer of a bank a bank is a business and professionals uh, you know business networking club which is also india's first mm-hmm. uh, refer for profit which means every referral you do business with you also earn something but the key part about it is everyone is learning from everyone in this we meet twice a week um, minimum minimum uh, as a group and then we also you know interact with one another find some synergy somewhere and interact and do business with each other but also improve our own systems and processes as a result of this so it's important to say bring in speakers because you know ghar ki murghi dal barabar hai so dal barabar hai right so an hr may be telling your ceo something which is he's not absorbing or she's not absorbing at all but when an outsider comes and tells you the same thing and you pay them for it you're listening so organize seminars organize conclaves organize impromptu things you know communication needs to be very very different but absorption of what's happening around you is very important everybody tends to you know where there's conflict between hr and ceo and the management most of the time they're living in a bubble where they feel the world that exists only exists like this and these are the only rules no it's not it's a bubble our whole universe is also a bubble and there's several universes <laughs> with bubbles right so i mean <laughs> what are we talking about a little speck a tiny speck a tiny dot and you're focusing on so much on the negativity so much on the bad in the person that you forget to see the good the person brings to the table so i mean it's a tricky space every person is different every personality is different every ceo's experience is different so they bring that to the table so i would rather work with somebody who's a hard taskmaster but somebody who would listen someone who understands where i come from someone who uses and utilizes my strengths and respects that respect very important 
you cannot demand respect. I, I get grips sometimes, ki, hey, you know, you don't respect me. I'm like, you need to earn it. <laughs> you can't yeah. demand respect from kids. You need to earn it. You can't be doing duplicity with the kids. You're telling eight sentence, oh God, you should not lie. And then the next one will be, daddy, there's a call from your office. Tell them I'm not here. <laughs> so it, it can be it can be so many things. I mean, you know, uh, a lot of things happen for different reasons. So yeah, it's critical that you decide whether you want to stay on or move. If you're staying on, improve it. Improve the space around you. If you cannot, there's wisdom in moving on. So uh, about BANC, uh, it's in Delhi? Bank is, uh, no, we have members international and national. We are spread across about eight countries now. And okay. uh, bank is, uh, it was founded by somebody who used to be, he's a CA by profession, uh, used to be in HSBC Amex, and he founded it. And, uh, you know, it has grown. It's almost three years now. It's going to be three years in July. And... Uh, it's a great environment to work in. We are all working. Uh, there's nobody sad. Uh, nobody's upset about something. You know, if someone feels something is going on, we talk, we talk it out, we help it out. So there's a, there's a whole community that helps build businesses and helps also invest in businesses that have good sounding, uh, good sound, uh, you know, foundation. So there's a whole lot of things happening and... Uh, just to let you know, Nishant, you know, I, I keep posting about this. The leadership team in bank uh -huh. is 87% women. Wow. <laughs> it was founded by a man, but the women have been given amazing opportunities. And, you know, uh, I, he kind of also said, you know, why we have more women in the team is because they are uh, efficient. They have amazing capabilities to be able to, you know, uh, manage people and be able to interact with them and uh, they're working to the strengths. So, yeah, uh, he has a lot to say about, uh, you know, why he picks women for work, although it looks discriminatory. Trust me, you know, when we interview, interview men and women for the for the work, but we just look at what we need in terms of strengths. And if those strengths are available, it doesn't matter with gender. So gender inclusivity is there, you know, there is no contest here. That you need reverse gender inclusivity. We have a lot of women in the team. <laughs> <laughs> well, recently, actually, uh, my founder did a post about it as well. So, uh, her interns are going through every CV and she's like, <laughs> like, interns, ladke <laughs> I think the only time there. I, uh, I get a little iffy when people uh, specifically ask for women for sales. They need to be pretty. These are the criteria I get. I've gotten these kind of criteria, by the way, from the boardroom. Uh, we need them to be able to wear Western clothes. We need them to be very outgoing and they should be able to socialize very well. They should be pretty. Uh, they were the worst hires I did, most difficult ones, because I had to now find somebody who's super smart and all of these things, right, to pick the right person. But it doesn't work for me. It feels very cheap. It's... So, yeah, I've kind of objected yes. to those things and not been received very well by the board. Uh, but these are truths and they exist. Egos. Not just egos. It's just wow. the unethical part of it. Like you're already uh, objectifying women in a boardroom, and you're talking about it, and you want. Of course, you can't put that in a resume, in you know, in a job post, but uh, you want that criteria to be there as a filtering process. Like, whoa. Do you mean to say that if it's not a good-looking guy, they can't sell? What are we talking about? So, what are the things that are happening? I'm listening. I'm in the corporate world. I'm not. I was like, I got. 
Puta é. Bang mujhe kafi interesting laga isliye main puch raha tha you mentioned that you guys meet twice a week so like yeah. online this is online we have offline meet once in a month so we also have an indoor chapter we've got a bangalore chapter starting we have a bombay chapter starting so um, the target uh, for the year is literally to be able to have a pan india presence because we already have a presence in seven other countries but in india we want to be able to bring in you know most of the states we should have some representatives so we're doing that we are also we've also started an initiative with uh, uh, giving internship to veterans so people from the forge who are retiring or are in transition and it's to give them uh, networking business professional networking uh, internship experience because Uh, most veterans don't have access to ceos mds owners of businesses and have no understanding or exposure literally to how business is done and it's a key uh, exposure that's required for them to transit into a corporate life or start their own business so what we've okay. done is we give them two months of internship and another additional month of membership as a compensation where they learn and they shadow business people and see how it's being done and also build their networks so they get connected to people who are key in the industry they build those relationships and those relationships help them get either their jobs or their funding or their startups going or whatever else so uh, that is an initiative we've recently started and we have uh, three uh, veteran interns with us so we've already wow. started with that internship and it's open for you know any of the forgees who have retired uh, and feel that they need to understand and get make connections because without connections nothing works these days so those making those connections right. is important and uh, this is just an initiative to help them transit through a little bit you know mere time pe there wasn't anything i just had to dive right in and people are maybe more organized about it now and more self aware also the internet has shrunk the world so access is easy but access is also because of the internet just as difficult so to open up those doors and access uh, to be able to uh, give them tips on how to work the social networking sites how do you build up your references how do you build up a solid profile uh, all those things are part of the internship that we do so we do this for college students as well and we do this for veterans nice okay i'll wrap up the podcast and then i want to know more about bank <laughs> okay <laughs> thank you uh thank you lieutenant sandhya for sharing your wisdom and knowledge on this i'm sure a lot of ceos and hrs are gonna look twice and be like okay this is art but it's important <laughs> you will also have a lot of people say she doesn't know anything right now <laughs> that's very limited <laughs> and i'm okay with that uh, i think everything is a learning curve so yeah true and with that let's close the very first episode of hr elevate podcast thank you again